0: Hello everyone and welcome to our Threshold podcast. We are so happy that you have taken time to join us today and we pray that you will be absolutely encouraged by the plethora of messages and encouraging words that we share here in our church. Threshold is a family of believers based in East Riding of Yorkshire in the wonderful city of Hull and our head pastors are our pastor Deborah and Philip Bander. Be blessed. he had and we were just watching it um, as a church a couple of weeks ago and it was amazing how much of what Phil spoke of and said was going to happen was actually happening. I'm kind of in that strange place at the moment where even though I'm in the middle of it, I struggle to believe the things that God's doing. It's that crazy. And Rachel's kind of saying to me, you need to share with everybody what God's doing. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, yeah, but nobody's going to believe it. (laughs) Because God is doing incredible things. But before I share some of those incredible things, which I believe will encourage you, I'm going to talk about why they're happening, really. You know, the Bible teaches us so much, and yet what we find is a lot of what we do as church is not in the Bible. And a lot of what is in the Bible, we don't do as church. And we get confused when we don't see the things that happen in the Bible happening today. And it's because we've got away from the track that God set for us. And what we're trying to do is get people back on track again. We've got a very tough problem in Tanzania. I don't know if the countries you're from originally have the same kind of issues. But, you know, we must have over 30 million born-again Christians. That's a lot. It's colossal. But we have a problem. Imagine 30 million babies in nursery together because that's what we have. You know, when Jesus left this planet, he didn't say much but what he said was so crucial and what he said we as the church worldwide have pretty much failed to do and it's why we find ourselves in the position that we do today, worldwide. You know, we want to see God move. We want to see God do amazing things, and yet we're not doing what the book says. And it doesn't work. We can't do things our way. You know, I talked to Phil back in October, and I shared what our vision was. Well, I kind of said to him last night, nothing of what we planned to do, we're doing Nothing that we set out and laid in place, we're following. Because God came along and did what only God can do. And I don't want it any other way. Because the important thing is this. Man, it is a bit hot out here, isn't it? And I'm not used to wearing a sweater any time of the year. (laughs) Where I am, where I'm from, it's 38 degrees at the moment. (laughs) A little bit warmer than here. Um, you know when God wants to do what God wants to do we need to be very careful that we don't get in the way because we have a tendency of saying this is what I've planned this is what I've set out to do so I'm going to do it listen it's not about us at all none of this is about us it's all about him And the only way we can actually allow that to be the case is by forgetting ourselves and who we are and who we want to be and to be who God wants us to be. You know, Phil shared that one of the big drives that's happening here at the moment is teaching us to be disciples. That's the answer to the problem we have in the church. Because we are teaching people to become disciples. And the reason is, being a disciple is not easy. It's not something you can go and sell to people. It'd be like trying to sell somebody a rusty old car with flat tires and the engine's not working and (laughs) pretending it's a brand new Merc. It doesn't work. Being a disciple on the outside of it doesn't look attractive at all. Because Jesus talks about dying to self. Jesus talks about us having to come last. If we ever want to come first. Jesus talks about us being willing to lay our lives down. Not just for him, but for each other. Jesus talks about us taking our cross and following him. Well, we know what taking the cross meant for Jesus. Are we all wanting to rush to do that? So what we do is we make the gospel comfortable and nice. But what we end up with is nothing like God intended for the church. So in Matthew 28, we have what we call the Great Commission. And in verse 18 of Matthew 28, it says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make converts. No, No, doesn't say that, does it? But that's what we do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gave us very little instructions, didn't he? You can't call that a manual on how to do church. And yet, it is. Because so much is actually held in those few verses. The task that we have... And to be honest, although we believe we should go and make converts, it's something we generally don't do. But the task that we have is to make disciples. That means that we are actually bringing people to a place where they follow Jesus, whatever the cost. We'll talk about this in a bit, because we have people in our network of churches now who really are following Jesus, whatever the cost. And that cost could so easily be death. Any day. Any day. And they're the most committed Christians I've ever met. And until recently, they had not met any other Christians outside of their groups. They'd never heard anybody preach the gospel. They'd never heard anybody teach. Jesus found them. And they are the most committed people I've ever come across. Disciples. It's not surprising that we have a problem with this in a way. Because some of this, even the early church didn't follow through on straight away. Because he told them to make disciples of all nations. It took 20 years of the church existing in the New Testament... Before it went outside of Jerusalem. 20 years. And there's a reason for that. And it's this. The, the Jewish nation, really since the time of Moses, had been so insular. It was never planned that way. God wanted the Jews to reach other nations, but they never did. So for them to reach other nations was a real, real big tough order. And you remember the problem that Peter had of sharing the gospel with Cornelius. He was like, I really don't want to do this. And God had to give him these visions. He had to fall into a trance. He had to see these blankets coming down with all different foods that they weren't allowed to eat. Because God was saying to Peter, you need to change your way of thinking. You need to see things differently. So for 20 years, they were keeping the gospel amongst their own people. But praise God that it went further afield. Because if it hadn't have done, none of us would be here. Although it got to Africa a lot quicker than it got to the UK. But not by much time. He wants us to be disciples. Disciples are people who follow God whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll tell you, that's not easy. But I'll also tell you, there's no better place to be. You know, three and a half years ago, I left the UK. Admittedly, it was for a beautiful woman. and (laughs) I'm not complaining. (laughs) I'm not complaining at all. But I'm going to tell you something. I'd never left the UK before then. I was flying across the English Channel thinking, wow, I'm outside the UK. And I've hardly been back since. But that's just how God does things. And I thought I'd stay in Kenya with Rachel. I thought that's where our home would be. You know, we got married, we had a home. I loved Kenya. I thought, this is it. And then God did the strangest thing. He said, I want you to go to Tanzania. And we're like, where's Tanzania? Well, I was like, where's Tanzania? Rachel had actually visited, like, 20 years previously. Oh. But it was a place that had never entered our heads whatsoever. So we, a few months later, went and spied out the land. And we're there, and we just felt it was really right. And we really felt God telling us to go to tanga Now, the interesting thing is, when... Um, About seven months later we actually moved and let me tell you when I said moved we had a nice home. We had a new fridge freezer, we had a new cooker. We had some really nice furniture that had come from Canada uh, years before in a in a big container that Rachel had been sent from uh, a guy who's got a ministry in Canada She had some beautiful, beautiful furniture. But we turned up in Tanzania with three suitcases. Because we couldn't take it with us. And that's tough. But everybody was saying to us, don't go to tanga, don't go to tanga. Tanga is really spiritually difficult. But God had called us to go to tanga. Because God doesn't just want us to go to places that are easy. God isn't e- about it being easy. It's what we want. We want everything easy. We want everything simple, everything straight away. Everything's instant. Well, in the West, nothing's instant in Tanzania. You go for a meal, plan on doing other things while you're waiting for the food to come. <laughs> It's hot. It's sleepy. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you wait. And you can't just... For me, I walk along the road and I'll go, Hi, and somebody says, Hi, and, and see you again, and that's it, yeah? In Tanzania, greeting somebody takes half an hour. <laughs> and if you're any quicker than that, they get offended. So nothing is quick in Tanzania. <laughs> well, nothing is quick in Tanga anyway. But God calls us to go there. Now, Tanga is 90% Muslim. I've already said there are like 30 million Christians in Tanzania, that's about 60% of the population. The rest is either Muslim, which is a big chunk, or into local witchcraft and everything. I've got a witch doctor as a neighbor. Very, very interesting, to say the least. So it is a spiritually difficult place but you know the Bible tells us that nothing is impossible for God and what we find I do believe is if we become disciples if we're willing to lay everything down, if we're willing to recognise that it's all about him and it's what the Bible teaches because Jesus said in John 15 verse 5 when he's talking about the vine, he says apart from me you can do nothing. You know, we've created a gospel where it's all about us. And it's not about us at all. If you find yourself spending eternity with Jesus, it's not because of anything you have ever done. It's not because you've got it right. It's because he's right. But we want, us to, we want to believe that maybe it's a little bit of us a little bit of us let me tell you it's none of us mm, no. it's all him the love that we have for him and for each other comes from him yeah. and the bible says his love has been shed abroad in our hearts yeah. it's his love wow. we haven't got the love we need to love each other mm. even the nice people we struggle sometimes yeah. And we're told in the Bible that if we're disciples, we have to love our enemy. In actual fact, in 1 John 4, at the end of the chapter, it tells us that if we don't love each other, we cannot love God. Cannot. It's not possible To to love God and not love each other. That's a tough one, isn't it? And this is John writing this who knew what love was. He was one of the closest to Jesus. He was the closest to Jesus. Being a disciple is the most important thing. That we have so many people who are converts. We have people who've given their lives to Christ. Kind of. They've made a decision. Some of them had then gone on to be baptized in water. An awesome experience. Got to baptize my son, my African son, a couple of weeks ago. Phil seen the video, very emotional time. And it wasn't easy because he's a lot bigger than me. <laughs> I thought when he was going in the water he was taking me with him. <laughs> <laughs> we get filled with the Spirit and we think we've arrived. And for some reason, we pretty much stagnate then. We may grow slowly. We may grow a little bit. Mm. But let me tell you, all we've done is entered through the door. Yeah. When God has got so, so much for us, we've entered the door. Mm. And we haven't sampled anything that he has for us. Yeah. It's like, It's like me buying a ticket to fly from Tanzania to here and saying, look everybody, I've got my ticket. And And I never get on the plane. Mm. We never really start the journey. God has an amazing journey for us. Every single one of us. And it doesn't, well, you've all come overseas, most of you anyway. This is your mission field, do you know that? (laughs) I've just gone the other way round and... We kind of passed each other on the way somewhere. <laughs> God has got so much for us. But while we stand there waving the ticket saying, Look, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and that's as far as we've gone, we're never going to realize it or see it. So the job that God has given us, and the reason He's called us to Tanzania, and I bless God because we now just haven't. Well, one of my suitcases I haven't got anymore because it broke on the way here. But it's not just about three suitcases because God's provided. It took a year to get a bed, but yeah, I've got a bed. Till then we slept on the floor on a mattress. That's what being a disciple is about. When we started church, and I'll talk more about that because it's an amazing story, we had four plastic chairs in our sitting room, and it's a big sitting room, isn't it? You can probably fit 30 plastic chairs in our sitting room. I know. And we had four. We got to the stage where me and Rachel were sitting on the little table that we have, like a coffee table, because we now had four people coming, and they needed the chairs. And then we'd buy a few more plastic chairs. Even when we couldn't afford them, Rachel was always coming back with a plastic chair. <laughs> Until we had 18 plastic chairs, and I'm thinking, wow, this is like revival now. We've got 18 plastic chairs. <laughs> but just after they'd been and, and uh, been with us for the 10 days in October, which we had an amazing, amazing time, somebody gave us Sofas and seats for eight people. Now they're a little bit old, but we just praise God. And then then two days later, which we didn't know at the time, somebody had connected with our son Steve and offered to have the seats reupholstered. And the next thing we knew, we had these guys turning up on the veranda, taking our sofas outside And Steve's girlfriend at the time was like, you know, this is a bit of an old-fashioned style. So they actually had them, stripped them down to nothing. I looked out the window of our bedroom and I said to Rachel, where's our four-seater sofa gone? She says, that pile of wood in the corner (laughs) is our four-seater sofa. I'm thinking, how's that going to ever be a sofa again? But they put it together, they rebuilt it, it looks nothing like it did originally. And we've got seating for eight people as well as the 18 plastic chairs. (laughs) Because God honors us as being willing to lay everything down and give everything up for him. He never leaves us totally without. He will always do what he says he's going to do. He will always meet our needs. Because where the word of God says that apart from him we can do nothing, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they're two sides of the coin. We can't do anything without him. We can't pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't I wonderful, look at what I've done. But with him, anything's possible. And it's hard for us to get that because we want a pat on the back. We want people to say to us, you're doing really well. What you're accomplishing is amazing. What I found God doing in Tanzania is this. God is doing stuff. And it's not about me at all. In actual fact, things are happening right now. And I'm not even there. Because what we're doing is making disciples. What we're doing Is teaching people how they should be and what they should do. And the amazing thing is this. They're being it and they're doing it. See, the end of this teaches us something really important. It says, "Teach teach them to obey everything I have commanded. What does that mean? I know most of the people in Tanzania would be right back at Moses right now, on Mount Sinai receiving the law, then he didn't say that. He didn't say, "Teach them to obey the law of Moses." Didn't say that. We've got to get something here. The law of Moses is on covenant. The law of Christ is different. It's new. Hebrews tells us it's a better covenant. It was a better sacrifice. It's a better everything. Better. But it's not easier. No, we don't have to follow ceremonial laws. Ritual laws. We don't have to follow the cultural rules. But Jesus gave two laws that are all-encompassing. And say way more than the law of Moses. He said, love God with everything you have. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. We're so busy looking at the law of Moses. We're so busy looking at Leviticus and saying, he can't be a Christian, he's got tattoos and all this kind of crazy talk. That we miss the law of Christ. Now do we want to be Jews following Jewish rules or do we want to be part of his church? Good question, yeah? It's an important question. Because Satan is keeping so many people bound up, following the law of Moses, and keeping them away from the law of Christ. The law of Christ, you know, we talk about having other gods before him. And we know that's wrong. That's in the Ten Commandments. Putting anything in front of God is wrong. Loving your wife, loving your children, loving your husband, loving your career, loving your football team. Even if it's Liverpool. (laughs) Sorry, Nassanta. We have some Swahili in the house, praise God. (laughs) I'm going to get tough on this. Loving worship... Loving your ministry, loving your network of churches, before loving God is idolatry. When he says, Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's saying, Everything you've got, don't let anything come before your love for him. Nothing. You see, the law of Christ goes far beyond the law of Moses. There is nothing untouched. When he says, Love your neighbour as yourself, Man, they didn't like him when he said that. You see, Old Testament law taught this. It taught you to love your neighbour. But who was your neighbour in the Old Testament? A fellow Jew. Totally, 100%. Your neighbour was a fellow Jew. When Jesus said, love your neighbour, he made it very clear he was not talking about a fellow Jew. He was not talking about a countryman. Because when this guy was lying on the side of the road, nearly dead, two of his countrymen Who also happened to be religious leaders crossed the road and went past him and did nothing. But the guy who came and went over the top in that he bound up his wounds. He put soothing oil on them. He took him to a hotel and he left him at the hotel and says look after him and when I come back if there's a bigger bill than I'm expecting and I've already paid, i pay it. But this guy who came and did all of this was an actual enemy. So he's saying, look, under my law, an eni- so a neighbour is a totally different thing than where way all your heads are going. A neighbour isn't a countryman. It's not somebody who sees things the same way. A neighbour is your enemy. So there is nobody who does not fall under that thing of loving your neighbour. He's saying, love everybody. And if we make disciples and if we teach them to love God with everything they have and if we teach them to love their neighbour as they do themselves let me tell you something, it's a game changer. It's what we set out to do. Yes, it looks very different but that's God. But it's what we set out to do. And it took a long time for us to get going because waiting for permits and red tape and as I've said they're slow (laughs) and it took a long time and they've actually kind of speeded things up and it's now gone online and stuff but it took me 18 months to get my two permits through which was crazy and crazy money so we had to kind of lay down low a little bit you can't be too much in the eye of what's going on because you get into trouble so, a month before Phil and the team came, we had two guys come and talk to us because we teach this stuff all the time and it's something they've never heard in Tanzania. And these two guys came and they knocked on the door and they said, um, We really want you to teach us. We heard you teaching in another church and we're thinking, Wow, this is so, we can tell it's the Word of God, but nobody's ever told us this before. We know it's the word of God because she gave all the scriptures. But nobody has ever told us this stuff before. Will you teach us? So this is on a Tuesday evening and we're sitting there and said to them, well, when do you want us to teach you? And we knew that God wanted us to teach and we got the material put together and we're in the process of translating it into Swahili. And they said, well, can we meet four o'clock on a Wednesday evening, four o'clock on a Saturday evening, and three o'clock on a Sunday? (laughs) I'm thinking, these guys are kind of serious. (laughs) And there's two of them, yeah? So this was Tuesday, of course, the next day is Wednesday, so they come along, four (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. And we've got our four plastic chairs and... (laughs) We do what you do. Mm-hmm. And we had an amazing time. Well, by the time we got to Sunday, there were now six or seven of us, I think. Uh, that was August, end of August. We now have over 30 people meeting five times a week. And you know, often when you have a meeting in the week, hardly anybody comes, everybody comes every meeting, unless they're out doing something else that's more important and related to what we're doing, which I'll explain. Because not only have we got over 30 people and we started doing this in August, we've now got 18 churches. Since August. 18 churches. Some of them are house churches, some of them are under the tree churches, some of them are cave churches. (laughs) Because people are meeting where people can meet. Three of the churches began through two funerals that have actually led to 11 churches in the end. A guy went to be with his father um, 400 kilometres from where we are. And he was there for two weeks. His father died, they had the funeral. But before the funeral he was praying for people who were sick and God was healing them. And when he left, he left a church that a month later was two churches. Another guy, Joseph. (laughs) What a lovely guy. I'd love you to meet Joseph sometime. Or you'll meet him. But it'd be great to bring him here. Just how God, this guy's had a call on his life for years and nobody has kind of helped him realise it. You know, our pastors in Tanzania are very wary of discipling or training anybody because they might become better than I am. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? You know, these guys are doing stuff I've never done. I've been in the ministry for 40 years. I've never seen the stuff they're doing. But I'm teaching them and they're going out and doing it. But you know what? Am I jealous? No, because it's not about me, is it? It's about Jesus. Jesus said, "I will build my church, and the gates won't prevail against it—the gates of hell." Yeah. It's not about me building church. That's never my mandate. That's not my job. Yeah. Jesus is building His church, and I'm just watching Him do it. Yeah. And when these guys come back with reports of what God is doing, I rejoice. I feel so much joy. I get into bed at night and I say. I'm, Rachel's lying there. And I'm just going, wow. Wow. Is this really happening? This is where things get interesting. Nine of these churches are Muslims. Wow. They've never heard the gospel. There's over 140 of them now. Jesus has been meeting them in dreams and visions. He's been visiting them And they're giving their lives to Christ. Now isn't that amazing? Now this guy, Joseph, he's at one of the churches he's just planted. Because wherever they go, they're telling everybody what they're learning. And everybody's going, nobody's ever told us this before. You know, most of our pastors have never read the Bible. I've got a friend who pastors pastors in Uganda And he got these 10 pastors together and he said to these 10 pastors, how many of you have read the Bible all the way through? None of them. He says, how many of you have read one book? Three of them have read one book. And yet they're teaching the word of God that they've never read and they don't know every Sunday. That's a problem, isn't it? One thing I do know for certain, you've got a pastor who reads his Bible. (laughs) And not just one book. Although you think after today it might be psalms and that sort of I'm only <really> joking, and <laughs> yeah,
1: proverbs.
0: I have proverbs, okay. Well it's a good start. <laughs> it's a problem. And in Tanzania it's an even bigger problem. There's quite a few the pastors can't even read, which you can't knock it because God's gonna call people who can't read. But it's a problem. So what they do is they share what they've heard other people say. And they repeat what they've heard other people say. And they do what they've seen other people do. But a lot of the time, by the time it's got watered down over the years, none of it's in the Bible. I listened to this guy who preached for two hours and my wife was interpreting for him. And after five minutes, she just walked to me and she sat down and she put the microphone down. And she says to me, I can't interpret what he's saying. Because none of it's true. I can't talk rubbish in any language. <laughs> so what's happened is we have people who are totally desperate for the truth. They're desperate for the word. And we put this course together. We're actually training everybody in our churches to be a leader. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean they're all going to become a leader, but the, you know when we read um, Ephesians five nineteen, it tells us very clearly. Is it nineteen or is it no eleven about the apostles, teachers, prophets? Four eleven. Yeah, four eleven, and and twelve. It tells us that these ministries are there for one purpose: to train people for works of service. Not to sit on a seat every Sunday and just come and and, and listen with no participation. My job, according to the word of God, is to teach people to do my job. Mm -hmm. My job is to put myself out of a job. Mm -hmm. It will never happen because somehow it all fits together. Mm -hmm. But that's what my role is. You know, there's a principle that we run on, and it's, I was telling Phil about it yesterday, Pastor Phil, and it's in 2 Timothy two, 2. And it basically says this, Paul says to Timothy, everything I've taught you, teach others, that they may teach others. And he doesn't carry on, but what he's saying, that they may teach others, that they may teach others, that they may teach others. And do you know what's happening? We're discipling these guys. They're taking all of this stuff that they're learning and everywhere they go they talk about it. And everywhere they go they leave a church. (laughs) I know. It's amazing, isn't it? And you think, Mark, that sounds a bit easy. Well, I kind of think that. Because I'm not doing it. I'm just (coughs) teaching them and telling them to do the same. And they're doing it. You know, Rachel would have loved to have been with me this month, but she's busy making sure everybody's got their fare, because we've become a hub. Which is interesting, because reading this, it's what All Nations is all about in Wolverhampton, we'll that you're not a part of. Having apostolic hopes when you send people out. And we also have people coming in to learn. Our furthest church away, get this, is a 1,000 kilometers by Lake Tanganyika. It's the opposite side of the country, near the DRC. I mean, it's crazy. I'm like, what are you planting a church over there for? <laughs> Takes two days to get there on a bus. <laughs> wow. Well, actually, I... We're... the guy who planted the church, it actually took him five days to get there because the bus broke down. <laughs> But well, they're still carrying on. And all of these guys are doing the same teaching. And we're serious about it. Everybody who comes, we give them the notes in Swahili, We give them a notebook and we give them a pen. We've now got guys who are asking for a new notebook because they've filled the last one. You know, the things they're learning raise questions and they ask the questions and we answer the questions. You know, we could say, oh, we're talking about this next May. They don't want to wait till next May when they've got a burning question. So we answer it now. And often, the question that one person has got, lots have got. So Joseph, planted, he just planted this church. He finished quite late, so he's had to stay overnight because it's about 50 kilometres into the bush from where we are. None of our churches are city churches. Well, we're the closest one to being, but it's on the edge, isn't it? They're all village village churches, all villages. And he gets woken up in the night through the phone call. His nephew, who was 13, had been out playing football in a village about 130 kilometres from where we are, up in the mountains, near a place called Leshoto. And he came back from playing football. He sits on his bed and gets bitten by a black mamba on his ankle. He's dead before he reaches the hospital. You know that you die quickly with a black mamba. I think a green mamba is a little bit quicker, but they're not so aggressive. And If you stand on them or climb a tree and there's one up there, it's probably going to bite you. But otherwise, they're not aggressive. They're not going to hurt you. But black mambas, it just didn't do anything to it. It just bit him. So the next day, he comes back from the village, Maramba, and then comes to us. And uh, we sort him out fair and he goes off. And um, this is mainly a Muslim village. But he manages to talk them into him doing a Christian funeral. So two days later, he preaches at the funeral and three Muslims give their lives to Christ. That's a big deal. Big, big deal, yeah? So they're sitting by the fire in the evening Talking about family and this kid's life and everything and what a loss it is. And it starts to get very scary. It's Muslim lady. Full works. You know, not much of a face showing. I'm not going to use the Boris Johnson term. I going to be careful. <laughs> I might get strung up. And she pats him on the shoulder. You know, fully black, you know what I'm saying. She taps him on the shoulder and says, Can you follow me, please? Now, can I ask you a question? If that is you, see, this is what it means to be disciple. <laughs> if it was you, what would you do? Well, if it was me, you see, these are spiritual men. Because <laughs> if it was me, I wanted not just to follow her, I think I'd have ran. <laughs> she might have some friends close by. But he just felt this nudge of God to go with her. So he followed her, literally, she was like a few steps. She didn't want to be seen next to him. And he walks into this house that's full of well, it's got about nine Muslims in there with all the gear on and the guys are there with, you know, the headgear and everything else and they ask him to take a seat and <laughs> he kind of fights the desire to run out the door. <laughs> and he sits down and they start to ask him really tough questions about the Bible, particularly about some things in the Old Testament. Things that, having been a Christian now for 52 years, been to Bible college, everything else, been in ministry for years, I'd have struggled. With an answer. And I can say it's only God that helped him to give answers. And at the end of the conversation they said to him, Look, we wanted to be really sure. We're being very careful. You're the first Christian we've ever talked to. But we're one of you. We've all met with Jesus. We've all given our lives to Christ. And we heard what you had to say today. And... Can you go back to your people and see if we can work together? They'd had no teaching from the outside. No help from the outside. So Joseph comes back and he's sharing all this and we're kind of almost falling off our seats with surprise and shock. (laughs) That God is doing the kind of things that God does and is supposed to do. (laughs) You know? We, We shouldn't be shocked, should we really, and surprised. And he goes back about 10 days later, which we've arranged, and he goes there to teach them. And they put up these kind of tarpaulin things to make a bit like tents out in the forest. And there's now two groups of Muslims, and there's 31 of them all together. And these 31 gather for three days. And he teaches them from 8 in the morning till 12. They stop for lunch, and then he teaches them From two to six. Now this is eight hours of teaching. Joseph has never given an hour's teaching before this. Well he has done an hour's teaching in the other groups. But no more than an hour. Eight hours a day. Well something very strange happens as he arrives. Because they ask him to stop at a village on the way. And he gets taken to this house. And he's given Muslim clothes. Because these guys have got to stay secret. When the first Muslims there became became born again, they started telling everybody, and most of them are dead now, or their houses were burnt down, or they were (coughs) driven out of the village. They're gone. So they're keeping it secret. So he has the full works on. He's actually dressed as a Muslim leader, which is even more scary. And he sits in... They have these little minibuses. I think they're all over Africa, to be honest. You know, Toyotas. In Kenya, they call them Matatus. In uh, Tanzania, we call them Daladalas, but they probably have different names wherever they are. But they have, like, 14 seats and 25 people get on them. You you know, these kind of (laughs) things. I've been squashed on the back. Four people sitting where only three people should sit. I've got two chickens live in a box next to me that are trying to get out. I've come across the border, and Rachel's saying to me, can you put your Tanzania sim in? I says, Rachel, I can't move. (laughs) What with being squashed and these two chickens trying to attack me. (laughs) So he's sitting on one of these Dala Dalas, and the guy who's met him, who took him to the place to get changed, He's not sitting next to him because they don't want to be too associated with each other. People asking questions, who is this guy? So he's got this Muslim lady sitting next to him, yeah? And she starts shouting. But she's shouting in her local vernacular language that he doesn't understand. And she's kind of moving away from him. And the guy who'd met him, who is part of the church, but he's also a Muslim leader... And you say, well, how does this work? But think about where did the disciples go every day in the New Testament? They went to the temple. They weren't practicing Jews anymore. They were born again Christians. But they went to the temple. They shared the gospel. They went to the synagogue. They shared the gospel. And often they ended up arrested. And it's just the same, really. You know, they've kept their heritage. But they just love Jesus now. So, what happens is, the other guy is texting him and saying, she keeps saying, I can't sit next to this guy, he's burning me. He's burning me. So they have to swap places. So he gets to the village, he does the first day of teaching, he's teaching them on evangelism. um, Because it's where we start. We teach on evangelism, we teach on mission... We teach on discipleship, leadership, church growth and kingdom finance. It takes about 80 weeks. Everybody does it. Because none of these people have learned anything to do with what it means to really be a Christian. They've never been told. All they've been told is, can we have your money every Sunday? Sometimes five times on a Sunday. And the poor single mothers go home and the kids don't eat anything for dinner because they've... Given everything to the church. And we have a crazy situation. That I think you found hard to believe yesterday. Where if you don't give. The pastor curses you. Oh. Curses you. Serious. <laughs> it's like what planet are these people on? But it's true. So they give. And they'll give the last. This is why we need to teach. It's a bit of a revolution, but we're teaching and it's spreading because people want to learn. They want to know the truth. There is a hunger for the truth. So, um, that's why it's good to leave your Bible charging. (laughs) Do you know, I feel so blessed because you said about Paul and, do you know, they didn't have a Bible. They had scrolls in the temple or in the synagogue sometimes, but they didn't really they wouldn't have had a whole copy of the whole Old Testament. And and the New Testament wasn't printed and wasn't put together for another couple of hundred years. So when you think of the amazing stuff that happened in the New Testament and all these churches planted all over the world, it happened without having a Bible, whether it's charging or not. Mm. (laughs) We're spoiled, aren't we? Because we've got the world, I've got 40 English versions here and seven Swahili ones. And four Kikuyu, which is what my wife is. I mean, life is different, isn't it? (laughs) I'd have to put them all in a box if I was in, if they were real paper things. Um, So, you know, he's he's teaching them anyway in in this village and it's amazing what God is doing. And the second day, because we're getting reports all the time, The second day there's a guy and I I can't get my head around this apart from the fact that Rachel's mother had a similar thing um, and she had it right until she died. It's like a a, a wound on on his leg that just wasn't going away. And it would get dressed and cleaned every day but it wasn't going. And I don't understand that. I don't know if it's a temperature thing or something that's just indicative to that part of, of the world but During this talking on evangelism, he just happens to mention healing. And all of a sudden, this old guy at the back is shouting, 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 and rolling up his trouser leg. And you know how Muslims dress with, they've kind of got the gown thing on, I don't know what they're called, but they kind of have Lucy's trousers underneath. And he's pulling up his trouser leg, and he's really freaked out. Because this gaping wound that was there in the morning that some of these fellow guys had actually seen him dressing, was gone, and the skin was perfect. Now he didn't lay hands on him. He didn't pray for him. He was just talking. So what they say, because they've actually got copies of the Bible, they've got a couple of copies of the Bible, they said to Joseph, look, will you pray over this shirt? Because we've got a member, a young guy in our family, is in his 20s, he's, he's got severe epilepsy. So he prayed over the shirt. This guy never leaves his house. He prays over his shirt. They take the shirt and this guy sleeps in this shirt overnight. In the morning he's totally healed. Get in this. Totally healed. Wow. So he comes to the third day of teaching. On the third day of teaching, they've asked specifically, can you teach us about the Holy Spirit? We see it mentioned in the Bible, but we don't really know what this is about. They've never, met, they've never gone to church, as in church as we know it. They've never been in a church building. They've never talked to other Christians until now. Joseph is their only outside contact. He phones up Rachel, 10 o'clock in the morning. No, 11 o'clock in the morning. He <laughs> says, Mama Rachel, I've got a serious problem. I can't teach them anymore. And she's thinking, well, I understand teaching eight hours a day is tough. And you've done that for two days. And then these kind of questions in the evening. You must be exhausted. He said, no, that's not the reason. He says, I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, 10 of these Muslims fall on the floor. And they're speaking in tongues. He said, I can't talk to them anymore. (laughs) He says, they're on the floor. They're not even listening to me. He had to take a three-hour break. So in the afternoon, they carried on. By the end of the day, all 31... Plus this guy who's had epilepsy and been healed have been filled with the Spirit. They have a slight problem. See, how can that be a problem? This sounds wonderful. This young guy goes in the village the next day. We get a phone call that evening saying, can you really pray? We need to sort this out. He goes into the village the next day. They've never seen him in the village. He kept, he's kept at home because he's really severe epileptic. Well, was. Now he's in the village and he's looking perfectly whole. So everybody's asking questions. How come you're in the village? How come you're not ill anymore? So he kind of starts to say things like, Well, I've been healed. I'm okay now. It's like this Muslim village, yeah. What do you mean you've been healed? It's, oh Jesus healed me. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> Jesus healed me. Said so where? Where did this happen? He's going out in the forest. <laughs> well, then they start to really worry because it's like, he could give us all away. So they have to move him to his uncle's like 20 kilometres <laughs> away. Because <laughs> he just wants to tell everybody about Jesus. Yeah. Wow. And where he's gone now, he can tell everybody about Jesus because it's safe. <laughs> A few weeks later. And now, Joseph is teaching them every day. Whatever he's doing, whether he's come to our meetings five times a week, which he does. The other two days of the week, he's actually doing these other villagers. And we've got like quite a few of these guys going out to different places now. But I'm talking about Joseph because it's kind of so key to the story, really, of what God's doing. So... What's happening is even after Joseph has been this 40 kilometres and back again, teaching in these other churches, he's coming back. 11 o'clock every night, they bought him a phone, didn't they? Smartphone. So, every, And our internet, by the way, is, is good. In Tanga, Vodacom is four times faster than Vodafone is here. It's the darkest Africa, isn't it? You know how it is. We're behind the times, primitive... Don't think so. They're catching up. Well, on internet, they've actually gone past us. You know what I'm saying? So he's talking to them for two hours, teaching them every night, 11 o'clock to 1. They're on time. They're punctual. They are so, so hungry, so committed. It puts us to shame. Puts us to shame as a group in Tanga who are kind of getting things right-ish. You know what I'm saying? And he's coming back and he's challenging the guys in our church, saying, look, this is what they're doing. Come on, peeps, you know, let's get to church on time. Let's be here when they start. You know what I'm saying? All this kind of stuff, let's be committed. So he teaches them every day, every day, 11 to one. No wonder he's looking sleepy sometimes when he turns up at church in an (laughs) afternoon. Because he had had a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, just as I was leaving, when I left, by the way, we had 16 churches. And now we've got 18, so there's two since I've left. Wow. But when I was leaving, he gets uh, this. Uh, we've got uh, four of the guys who are part of the Muslim churches are actually Muslim leaders. They're sheikhs. Or sheikhs, or whatever you call them. <laughs> um, highly respected. And they kind of have to do a little bit of what they used to have to do. So, he says, can you pray for me? He says, I've got to do prayers in the mosque. And this is a Friday, which is their big day. He says, I have a problem. He says, when I go and do prayers in the mosque, because I'm praying to our God, people in the mosque start falling down under the power of the spirit. (laughs) I want to say something, and it's really important, and it's this. The God that is moving there. I mean, God's told me things like this were going to happen for the last 30 years, and prophesied it into my life, even though it didn't look possible. And I actually had a guy, uh, I haven't told many people this, but I think it's important in the context. He says to me, I'm going to tell you what God is saying to me, but there is nothing at this moment in your life To show that this is ever going to come true. Those things that were prophesied into my life over 30 years. From many people from different nations. Including a Tanzanian pastor. um, Who was visiting the UK. I'm now watching them come true. In a totally different way than I envisioned. Totally different way than I saw. I actually believed it was going to happen here. I didn't know I was going to Africa. But what I want to say is this. The God that is moving there. Is the same God. That lives inside you. Yeah. It's no different. That's right. It's not just that the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me, yeah. which He speaks about in Romans eight, but that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in me dwells in you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's the same God. The key to all of this is what we've been looking at. The key to all of this is being a disciple ourselves and making disciples and then making disciples and then making disciples. That is the key to all of this. The key to all of this is loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbours ourselves. I don't know sometimes how we do what we do. I mean we've got a project where we give out reusable sanitary towels to girls who can't afford them. So they miss school one week every month. At about the age of 14, they're thinking, what's the point of taking exams? They drop out of school. Normally by the time they're 15, they're pregnant and that's how they see life to be for them. Now, these girls are staying in school. They're able to get qualifications. They're able to do better jobs which changes the economy of the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Mm -hmm. That is loving our neighbour as ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm married to a crazy Kenyan. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) These two talk to her. I've got to be careful now. Yeah, we're telling you, right? (laughs) And they said lovely things about me to Rachel last (laughs) night, so I'm in trouble now. (laughs) You know, We live by faith. Everything we get, we see God provide. When I came here to my daughter's wedding, we actually got maybe a third this month of what we normally get coming. And it was like, well, I've got to live in the UK, she's got to live in Tanzania at the same time, and I sent it to her she needs to send these guys out, she needs to pay for their fares, she needs to, you know church would stop otherwise and that can't happen but you know God has just continued to supply Rachel's the kind of person who we've just got money left for food for dinner and we haven't got anything in the fridge if somebody comes and they're in need they have our dinner you listening? She'll give away the last of our money. And it's coming from the West, it's been so, so hard. You know, as a pastor, being in a church, and I used to have a house provided and, you know, they paid my expenses for travel. I got a really good wage. And it was kind of guaranteed and we used to worry about it then. Now God's taken me into a totally different place where I have to trust on him every single day. I know it's already been done and there's a website already with this name. But if God had done it first, his website would have been (laughs) lastminute.com. Because that's what he does. He always supplies at the last minute. But let me tell you something, he always supplies. And he always oversupplies. And he doesn't, this is where we've got things wrong. God doesn't oversupply and bless us so we can get a new car, so we can have a bigger house, so we can send our kids to better schools. It gives us more money. Why? So we've got more to give away. You listening? I'm reading my New Testament now and seeing things I've never seen before. Even in the Old Testament, every two and a half years, they had a tithe that was specifically for the poor. We don't teach that in our churches. Why? Because we at the front, we want to live a better life. We end up running a business rather than running a church. And I think it breaks God's heart. You know, if we read our New Testament with open eyes, we'll see it has far more to say about feeding the poor and about looking after the widows and orphans than it does about, well... I'm going to say about pastors getting salaries. Pastors mentioned once in the Bible. And yet every leader of every church is a pastor. I don't kind of get it. But I called myself a pastor for 40 years, so I kind of do. (laughs) You know, we actually follow tradition more than we follow the Word of God. And we've got to get back to the Word of God. If we want to see things in the Bible happening, we need to get back to the Word of God and do what the Word of God tells us and not what has been said for the last 510, well, you know, 1400 years, 1500 years or whatever, because that's how far it goes back. You know, we need to be who God wants us to be. And if we are loving people, and if we are loving God with everything we have, and if we are being discipled, and if we're making disciples, I'm gonna tell you something. Watch what God's going to do. Because yeah. Yeah. what God is doing in Tanzania, he might have better planned for you. He might have bigger planned for you. Yeah. Let's not tie God's hands behind his back yeah. by doing things our way and not his way. Because you know, God has got so much for you. Yeah. And I love this guy. This guy has such a passion. I was kind of worried. Um, I've heard him preach twice. And I'm thinking, and, and you want me to preach at your church, really? Because <laughs> this guy challenged me so much. And for me, and I'm not just saying it because I'm staying with you, and if I don't say it, I might not get any dinner tonight. But <laughs> for me, it was the highlight of the week. It was the, the Philip Sandwich, really. It was the first Sunday and the last Sunday, wasn't it? and everything else fitted in between but it was amazing you know he kind of started things off as God wanted them to start and just finished it and the last at the end he's just talking about God's glory I hope you talk to these people about God's glory because it's all about his glory it's all about his glory a glory he won't share with anybody else by the way it's all about his glory all about his glory it's all about him I don't care you know if this thing kind of goes all over Tanzania and we see this grow and I know that these nine Muslim churches there's probably because this isn't like a small geographical area there's probably thousands of them out there that are in hiding you know if all of those get connected what we're seeing happen and God's told us it's going to accelerate that scares me I'm like, I can't handle what's going on now. I don't understand what's going on now. I'm just watching it happen. And God's saying, you know, this is way bigger than what it is now. I don't want ever, and if he ever sees this, you give me a kick. because I don't want to ever, 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 ever people to look at me. Because my only job is to point point people to him. It's the only job. I don't want to become famous because of what God's doing in our nation. But I want him to be famous. I want everybody to be talking about Jesus, my Saviour. Everybody. Because that's what it's all about. And please, if you get in the opportunity to be discipled, if you get in the opportunity to learn how to disciple, don't just turn up on a Sunday. Get taught. Learn from this man of God everything he's got to say. Because as you grow and as you start to do what God's asking you to do, watch this space. Because you'll see things that you never believed were possible. And come on, most of you are Africans. You've seen God do some amazing things. I know you have. But you haven't seen anything yet. really haven't seen anything yet of what God has got in store. You know, it's not about God touching whole nations to start with. What we're watching God do started with four people meeting together, sharing the word of God together. The fact that in five months it's now over 350 people is crazy. And I don't even—I can't even let my head go where it's going to be in a year's time because I've got no idea. You've just got to go with what God is doing. And these things are key. We need to ask ourselves, what really is important for us? What really is biblical? Is the way we are doing things the way that God wants us to do it? And you know, some things aren't biblical as in, it's not kind of set out in stone how we should do it always... And some of these things aren't wrong. Okay? But we need to ask God, what do we need to embrace? What do we need to ditch? Now we had it easy because we started with nothing. It was a blank canvas. God could just put on it what he wanted to put on it and even then, he overrode all our plans, the way we wanted to do things, what we saw as the right way to go forward. But we need to listen to God. Because there will be things he wants us to lay down. There will be things he wants us to take up. But that's what it means to be a disciple. And when we're disciples. We will see God do what only God can do. When we love God with everything we have. When we love each other. When we're willing to die for him. And die for each other. And that's a tough one isn't it? And I pray to God that we never put in that actual situation. But that's. What we need to be willing to do. It's what our saviour was willing to do. None of us would be here if he hadn't have gone through with that. It's what all the disciples were, ended up doing. I think apart from John who died of old age. They were all killed brutally. It's funny isn't it? We always say huh, wouldn't it be great to get back to New Testament church. all of it the good and the bad but it might mean that so let's all pray, God what part can I play in this what have you got for me because if you think it's all about Pastor Phil, Pastor Debbie we're all very mistaken as wonderful people as they are You know, you started off with something that was very much about participating. You know, who has a hymn, who has a psalm, who has a word of encouragement and all these kind of things. That's talking about us all sharing together in doing church. Isn't it? Because that's what it's all about. Every one of you has got something vital to offer this church. In actual fact, without you, this church will never be the same. Especially if you move into (laughs) Rotherham. No, I forgive you for this.
1: I'm
0: glad I got to meet you before you did move. (laughs) And the beautiful baby. Just let God be God. Yeah? And watch him do what only he can do. God bless you. I'm not a cripple. Wow. 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 Oh, we had the people walk out of the wheelchair last night, by the way. <laughs> last night? Yeah. Last
2: oh, night. yeah. Oh, you said, yeah. I'm wow. still waiting on details. <laughs> wow. That's how it got to work. Praise God. Are you, are you guys encouraged? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Hey, did, did, you, did, did you enjoy God? Speaking to us like that, okay. So we've got this recorded, we're going to play for those that are not here. But you know, I I, it's 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 the the, it's it's seeing what God is doing, you know, in a way, God has not changed the way He's been He's working. I, I think we maybe we changed a lot of what He's the way we think He's working, but then. It's coming back, and especially this this season. you are seeing like, wow, God didn't actually change the way He worked with the early church. I mean, these these it's awesome what God is doing with these guys. And you know, I've been I've been there, and I can remember some of those things. You know, I sat on those plastic chairs. and now I wish I took one as a memento. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, left I, it with you. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so who, who, you know, and and at some point this year I'm gonna go again and see what God is doing. I'll be in Tanzania. Come with me. <laughs> Anybody wanna come, you can come. You know, at some point this year we're gonna be in Tanzania again, and and be blessed with what God is doing there. Amen. Amen. And it's amazing, you know, that God is doing such amazing things, uh, and He's doing it. Actually, there's a thousand and one stories across the world where God is beginning. Um, I think I was saying to you yesterday I was saying, it feels like Jesus is like I'm fed up with you, I'm going to do this myself You know, it, it feels true. like He's really orchestrating yeah. things Himself, He's on the scene And He's changing things And and he, So God is going to use you, that's the yeah. long and short of this
1: Definitely
2: You know, uh, just, just sit down Get discipled um, and, 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 and that never stops Okay, so that cycle, you're discipling others You're also getting discipled and they're discipling others And they're doing that and they're doing that, and, and, and that's the drive. That's why some of these things we're doing, let's do the Advanced uh, Discipleship Program together this year, it's about sitting down and having a chat and seeing and, and, and teaching the right stuff. And uh, those that were in the Advanced session we did, the first one on Friday, I set three challenges for you, and the last one was what? Make, you're gonna go and teach others. Mm-hmm. And when we finish, these eight sessions we're doing this year, you're going to go start your own group. You're not coming back into my advanced sessions next year. I'll have new people. Okay, That's the way we're setting it up. You're going to go start your own group. We'll move you on into something else, and, 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 and we will still meet and mentor one another. Amen. Yes, I want us to create church in this city in such a way that uh, even if we didn't have a building, we we'll would still have church. Mm-hmm. And I strongly believe that. There's a vision, I don't know whether you remember it, Benny.